Welcome to the Professional Writer Podcast. I'm your host, Laura Christensen, and I'm here to help you confidently plan, launch, and grow your writing-related business. You'll find the show notes for today's episode at bloggingbistro.com. Well, last week on the show, I was talking with a special guest, Lindsay Franklin, who is the author of a fantasy trilogy for young adults. We just kind of got to talking about all kinds of things <laughs> and decided to continue our conversation this week because I wanted to ask Lindsay specifically some questions about her book launch. So welcome back, Lindsay. Thank you so much for having me back. Now, Lindsay A. Franklin, there's an A in the middle there, that's your middle initial, is a Carol Award-winning author. She's a freelance editor. She's a homeschooling mom of three. And your bio says you would wear pajama pants all the time if it were socially acceptable. Are you wearing pajama pants right now? Guilty. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm guilt. I've got yoga pants on, which is what I would wear all the time if it was socially acceptable. So yeah, we're both guilty. Uh, we're dressed semi nicely on the top, but the bottom is very casual. <laughs> yep, every time. <laughs> and you live in your native San Diego with a scruffy looking nerf herder husband. We'll have to talk about this. So that is a reference to Star Wars. <laughs> oh. Princess Leia calls Han Solo a scruffy looking nerf herder. Okay, uh, okay. So that's what that is. <laughs> and then you have three precious geeklings and three cats and a stuffed marsupial named Wombat Man. I've seen Wombat Man on your Instagram account. Yes. I think. You have. He pops up sometimes. <laughs> I was looking at the fun facts on your bio, and this is just highly disappointing to me, Lindsay, but it, it says you've only eaten a total of two bites of hamburger and zero pieces of bacon in your life. Is that true? That is true. Oh that is goodness. true. I know. And my husband <laughs> is such a carnivore. He was like, okay, ma marrying this vegetarian, what am I getting myself into? But uh, yeah, I was raised as a vegetarian. And so when I got into my early 20s, there was actually a naturopath who said, I have chronic migraines and all kinds of chronic health issues. And she said, are you a vegetarian? Yes, I'm mm. a vegetarian. She said, you need to eat red meat. I was like, oh, oh. no. <laughs> yeah. So I started eating steak in my 20s after not having had meat pretty much my entire life. And my body loves it. My body loves the red meat. But hamburger specifically, there's something with the texture that I just can't handle. It's so oh. <laughs> I just can't do it. But you do like cupcakes. Do you like chocolate too? Coffee? I do. Yes. All right. So we yep. can be friends if you okay, like. Okay, good. Good. We're still in. <laughs> All right. I like it. <laughs> Today, we're going to talk specifically about the Weaver Trilogy and the third book in the Weaver Trilogy, which was released May 19th, is called The Story Hunter. And that's the third book in your young adult fantasy trilogy. So for people that weren't listening in last week, can you give us just a brief overview of the series? In the Weaver Trilogy world, art is magic, and the arts are also highly suppressed in the kingdom where my main character lives. So my main character is a young storyteller, and uh, she is a story peddler. That's the name of the first book, The Story Peddler. And so when she tells stories, uh, strands of light and color and fabric 
core out of her hands. And as she tells the story, those strands start to weave themselves together. And then she gets to the end of the story or the moral of the story. And all of those strands crystallize into a solid object that she then sells. And so she travels around and tells stories and sells them. And that's how she makes her living. And so she is going to, she believes, work her way to the capital city. She comes from a very small town and she's going to work her way to the capital city and become royal storyteller to the king, this king who has suppressed the arts in his kingdom because art reveals truth. And there are some very important truths that this king would like to suppress. So instead of working her way to the capital and becoming royal storyteller to the king, strands that she can't control start shooting out of her hands and accusing the king of treason. And so she lands on his most wanted list and is on the run. Thank you for that. (laughs) That's a good synopsis. We're going to talk today specifically about marketing and marketing this trilogy and some of the promotional things and book launch things that you've been doing because you're in the middle of doing the book launch right now. The first question I wanted to ask you, though, relates to the story peddler. And when I was looking at your bio on your website, you mentioned that the Story Peddler has been either a finalist or a winner of lots of different awards. What was that like? Did you enter contests or were these just, were these contests that were already existing where people just nominated you and then you became a finalist and then you won the award? How did that work? It's a mix of both. Um, so okay. like the INSPI awards are done via nomination. The Realm Award is something that you enter. Um, so that's a contest where you would enter your own book. Um, and that's strictly for speculative fiction books by authors of faith. And the Realm Award has a Reader's Choice Award, which is nomination and voting based only. And that's called the Alliance Award. And then the Carol Award and the Christie Awards, which are the two big Christian fiction awards, those you would enter your book into. You were a finalist for a Christie Award in the visionary category, and you were a winner of a Carol Award as a debut author and a finalist in the speculative fiction category. So two different awards there for the Carol Awards. And then you were the book of the year, or your book was the book of the year winner for the Realm Award, and also the young adult, and Reader's Choice. Wow. And you were an INSPI Award uh, shortlist for speculative fiction. So no pressure there. Your first book in the trilogy <laughs> comes out, it wins a zillion awards. How did you feel when that was happening? That probably, and all of that, of course, the book released in 2018. So all of that happened last year in 2019. Mm -hmm. The award stuff is always, of course, a year uh, in the future from when the book released. And I was completely flabbergasted, surprised, blown away. I mean, not expected. I obviously I'm still kind of like speechless. I, <laughs> I, yeah, when I had to get up and accept my uh, the Realm Award Book of the Year and the Carol Award, both those are ones where you have to like give a speech. I mean, I don't. Ooh. I have no recollection of what I said at either of them. I just, I was probably stumbling over my words like I am right now because I just get very flustered. Um, I want to thank my mom and my dad and my kids and Wombat Man and like they do on the the Academy Awards. Right. Right. And I so did not expect to, I was at the Carol Awards ceremony, but I thought this is, I mean, it's the Carol Awards. This is not happening. I'm so honored just to be here and dress up and be with my friends and, and celebrate all the winners. And so I wrote out 
my speech really fast mm-hmm. on a piece of like notebook paper um, that was in my purse or something like that um, the morning of the ceremony. And I thought, okay, just whatever. Here are a few notes. Like people, I, I don't want to forget to thank my editor and, and my agent and everything in case this happens. And then I shoved it in my purse and went on my way the rest of the day. And so when they called my name, I almost grabbed my coffee receipt out of my purse <laughs> from that morning instead of my little folded up piece of paper that had my speech on it. So uh, yeah, not not expecting any of that to, to actually <laughs> happen. So you would have been up there saying, I spent $5.42 yes. on a venti, you know, mocha. Yeah, I had a mocha this morning, exactly. <laughs> They're going, that. wow, that's the weirdest acceptance speech I've ever heard in my life. I know you're a fantasy author, but seriously. <laughs> Get it together, Lindsay. This is a professional event. Yeah. <laughs> so thinking about book launches, So you've had three in a row, three years in a row. Have there been similar things that you have done in each of the three launches? Each launch has been a little bit different. And I really felt like, okay, before I launched the Story Peddler, I really, and this is actually something that you taught me, Laura, all those years ago, (laughs) when I was sitting in your continuing track, it was like a marketing marketing track at Mount Hermon, um, absorbing all of your your wisdom and such. That was the first time I had ever thought about my avatar, you know, my main or my uh, reader who I was writing for, you know, in very specific terms. I knew generally who my audience was, but that was the first time I'd ever really nailed down who is this person that I'm writing for. So I've really applied that. I've taken that to heart and really applied it, not just in my writing, but in my marketing as well, thinking about who am I trying to reach in this book launch. And so when the story peddler was getting ready to launch, I'm thinking, okay, what, what is unique about fantasy readers? What, um, what are the kinds of things that they're going to want to see from me with I'm an unproven author, as far as they're concerned, you know, I've been in the business for years at this point, but they don't know me. And so um, what is the, the feeling or the vibe that I want to create with my launch? And so speculative fiction fans were very kind of tribal. Um, So if you walk into like a Comic-Con or any kind of convention like that, or a gathering of fantasy fans, you're going to see people who are big fans of the, uh, you know, Marvel Cinematic Universe congregating over here and talking about the movies and their favorite superheroes and such. Um, You're going to see all the Lord of the Rings geeks talking about Tolkien's amazing world building and his languages and all of these things. So we're, we're very tribal in the way that we get into these little fandoms where we're such passionate fans about the stories that we love and the worlds that we love. And so even though I was an unproven author and there was only a very small handful of people who had read this story yet, I thought that is the feeling that I want to create in my marketing, this fandom vibe. So I started to create fandom swag, custom tea blends that tied into the the story. And of course, the regular stuff like bookmarks and that sort of thing, art prints that were beautiful and fun to take photographs of for Instagram, um, stuff like that, that I could send with the book. Um, I'm trying to think what else I did for the very first book. Oh, I commissioned a uh, somebody who does custom candles to do little, you know, real small candles of of a scent that was specifically for 
this book. So um, that candle's called The Corseth, and that's like this magical forest hideaway in the story. Um, So it has that, it's green, and it has that kind of, you know, magic forest smell to it. And so Ah. kind of creating all of these little things, like in the stories that I love, you know, I've got all this Harry Potter merchandise, and I've got, you know, Wizard of Oz merchandise, and all these stories that I either loved as an adult or grew up loving. We have these little things that we collect. We're collectors. Uh, We're tribal. We're collectors. And so I started trying to create that sort of vibe around my own story. And it was a risk because you never know if people are going to get on board with that, if they, they... because you can get a certain amount of attention that way, but you really have to sell people on the story. They really have to think that the story is worth creating a fandom around. And that's kind of that big unknown factor. So I took a risk. I saved up money to invest in my launch. And then I just went for it. I love what you're saying there is that, you know, you can create the the swag and, and, but ultimately you have to sell people on the story. And that's true for any business. I'm working with a couple clients right now that are opening a coffee shop and they're just kind of like what you're talking about, Lindsay, they're developing swag and, and cool products that are related to their brand that they think the fans of the brand will want to purchase. And yet they also said exactly what you said in that it's the story. What's behind the swag and the cool stuff that you get has to be a really, really compelling story. And so I'm really glad that you said that. And then just to recap some of the things that you did, custom tea blend art prints um, and the small candles with a, a specific scent, uh, that that magic forest smell. <laughs> I love that from the book. What did you do with this uh, with this fandom swag? Did you give it away? Did you sell it? Did you do both? So um, I will sometimes sell very not as often do I sell my swag. If I'm doing in-person table sales, you know, if I'm selling books at an event or something, I will always have some swag there with me, either as giveaways when people purchase books, or I will sometimes have swag for sale as well. Um, I do include it in giveaway boxes. I felt like it was really important for me to take care of those more experienced authors who were willing to read my debut when it was still like a Word document. I don't even think I had an ebook for them to read for for potential endorsement just because of the way that timing worked with publishing. And so, you know, several of these connections that I had made throughout the years and friends that I had who, you know, were two, three, five books, 10 books, 15 books, you know, into their publishing journeys took the time to read The Story Peddler and then endorse it. I wanted to make sure that I took care of them after the book was published and giving them a, a beautiful box that they, you know, that felt like a gift, like with the, the finished book in it that I had signed and all these little swag items. That's something that I've done for each of the three books. So if I'm doing a blog tour or a review tour, if I've hired someone to do an Instagram tour, or if I'm just running my own giveaway, I will typically do a prize box that has the signed book, but then a bunch of these other little items in there too. It makes it feel special, I think. For your giveaway boxes, Mm -hmm. when you first started doing that, the intent, and it sounds like you're still doing it, was to be a, a thank you gift for the people who endorsed your book and other people who really stood behind your book, posted early Amazon reviews and that sort of thing. And so they got an autographed copy of the book 
plus the cool swag. And then you also use those giveaway boxes when you, during a book launch, when you go on blog tours, review tours, or Instagram tours, and they can, they would like run a, a contest or a giveaway and yeah. the prize would be the giveaway box. Would be a box like that. Yes, exactly. Okay. So not necessarily with the exact same items as are in the one that you sent to your endorsers, but something similar, maybe something similar. Yeah. And sometimes I like to kind of change it up because I'll have multiple tours running sometimes like my publisher might arrange a tour and then I arrange a different kind of tour. or We have a couple of different companies going at the same time. And so I do kind of like to change it up. And a lot of tour companies like you to have a giveaway that's for the readers. So for the people, they will enter like a drawing for a box. Mm -hmm. And then also a little giveaway for the tour hosts. So the people who sign oh. up to feature your book or to read it for review or whatever, sometimes um, there's a drawing for those folks as well. Part of this is because gifts is my love language. <laughs> ah. so, yeah, so it actually brings me a lot of joy to, to do this. I know for a lot of authors who are in the middle of launch season, this kind of stuff is just another added layer of stress. And they would much rather like buy a Kindle and have it preloaded with a few books and do that as a prize. That's a great prize. I mean, that's an amazing prize for readers. So I really think that you do need to make it work for your personality. It has to be sustainable. All the things I talk about are probably going to sound like way too much to a lot of authors out there. And it, if it sounds like way too much, it probably is way too much for you. For me, I love all of these little gifty things. I love packing up those boxes with colored paper shred to make it pretty and shiny things in there and whatever. And that's just because that that's my love language. And so okay. I love to send those boxes out to people and to really take care of the tour hosts, have a really cool, unique box for them. But if something is deeply stressing you out during your launch, it's probably not worth doing that thing for you. It would be yeah. better to, to do the prize that is a little lower maintenance and still a fantastic, you know, just as good a prize. Just it, it maybe fits more uh, with your launch personality or your personality in general. So I think that's really important too. Yes, that's excellent advice. I wanted to ask you one more thing about that. And I like we say gifts, gift giving is your love language. It's really not mine, but it is yours. So we would we would have very different types of launches yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and different types of prizes in our giveaways. Yeah. And that's really okay. There are so many yeah. different ways to do it well. And so you just have to do it in a way that, that mm -hmm. feels sustainable for you right. long term. Now you were talking about how you, you know, you ordered some custom things and you did a, a custom tea blend and the candles and so forth. That does require a financial investment on your part. Is this something that you are financing yourself or is your publisher helping you with that? How does that work? My publisher is very supportive and does um, does a number of different things. You know, they will arrange and pay for certain tours. They're always on board to help me with whatever I have planned. They've gotten to know me at this point. We're a really like tight knit group over there at Enclave. That's one of the benefits of working with a small publisher because I've worked with very large publishers too. And that's great for different reasons. But I love the small tight knit family that I have at Enclave. So they know me. They know about all my craziness and all my crazy swag and everything. So they're always on board to support me in whatever I'm doing. Most of the financial investment is mine. Um, when it comes to creating swag. And I always told my agent, 
if I get an advance for any of my books, because that's not even guaranteed, you know, these days that you're going to have a, an advance of any sizable amount, I always told her I'm investing it right back into the launch, mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. it's not just about one book for me. I say this knowing that I have the luxury of doing this. I'm not trying to feed my family with my my book income. <laughs> so that is a, a luxury that I have. And I recognize that that's not possible for everybody. But that was always my goal is we support our family solely on my husband's income. We did that for years and years when I was a homeschooling mom. I wasn't working out of the house or even working from home the way I do now. Um, and so we were used to that. That was that was normal for us. So we were a single income family. So when I entered into the publishing industry, I very rarely ever had to put my business money in to contribute to our regular bills because we had already that was already our lifestyle was was living on that single incomes. So that was why I said, okay, if I ever get an advance, it's being invested back into the, <laughs> the books, because I want to build a platform for a career, you know, something long term that is going to, that I'm going to be able to write story after story after story until I run out of imagination. That's what I want to do. So <laughs> it was, it was worth that, that investment to me. So I'm also a freelance editor. And so my income over there on that side helps support what I do in my writing as well and what I want to do for my launches, any travel that I want to, you know, want to do for a particular year or book events or whatever, all of that, that money comes from my business, whether that's book money or editing money, whatever it is. So it is a significant financial investment. And I think it's something that's very scalable. So if somebody wanted to do something similar to what I did, but they didn't have tons and tons of money to invest, it's like, okay, what's one small swag item that would get Mm -hmm. your readers really excited and would be, you know, fun for you and something a little special to include in your giveaways. So I, I have a good author friend who did, um, who just did teas. So she just did these little tins of tea, like what I did for her series launch. Um, So it wasn't tea and candles and enamel pins and all and, 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 and it was just the one thing, but that was special. And I see those little tins of tea out there on Instagram. Sometimes, Uh you know, her readers are posting the picture of the boat. They, they love to do that. So that worked for her and at a much, much more reasonable financial investment for what her budget was. So it's scalable. (laughs) Yeah. So let's try to give our listeners a a big picture view without talking about specific dollar amounts, because you do say it's scalable. So you can do whatever works best within your budget. But in terms of things that you would want to invest in, well, first first of all, you're investing in purchasing some copies of your own book. If if you're not self-publishing it, if it's published by a royalty publishing house, you have to buy your own book. You do get it at a good discount, but you do need to buy multiple copies of your own book to use as giveaways, <laughs> unless your publisher is willing to s- give away books on your behalf, which some of them are, and that's usually in the contract. Then you have your investment in whatever swag items you choose to give away. Then you have your investment in the what you're going to put the swag items and the book in, in order to mail it to the winner or the person you're sending it to. So the box, boxing it up. And then you have postage, what am I forgetting? Am I leaving out anything important there? Let's see. Packing materials, postage, the swag itself, the books. I think that's everything. Okay. Yeah. And in general, about how many 
of these packages do you create per book launch for yourself? Ooh, that is a good question. I'm going to say it's been, it really has been different for each launch because I've done slightly different things um, with each launch. Like for book two last year, I sent out, I want to say eight or 10 influencer boxes. So these were people who I didn't know. This was something that my publisher helped coordinate for me. So the Bookstagram community is a big part of uh, where I'm involved with social media, but also, you know, where I do a lot of my marketing. And that's simply because I like it. It's pretty. I love the Bookstagram pictures. Like it's pretty, it's sparkly, it's positive. I just enjoy being on Instagram. And so Enclave's Instagram manager, she helped me find, you know, some influencers who were in the bookstagram community who were um, interested in receiving a box and, uh, you know, with a book in it, and so that they would take photographs and, um, you know, feature it on their account, basically. So that was an additional probably eight to 10 boxes that weren't a part of the peddler launch or the hunter launch, because that was a special thing that we did. So it really does vary quite a bit. So I'm trying to count for hunter since I just did this one, I want to say that I've probably sent out maybe 10 boxes at this point between prizes that for giveaways that have already happened and my endorsers probably 10. And by the time the launch is over, I may send another five to 10 more. In terms of a kind of a slimmed down, not too expensive launch to be thinking maybe in terms of 10 to 20 gift boxes and to definitely budget for that, for all the different pieces that need to to get that are part of that gift box. Yeah. And then, um, and there's a time budget as well for that, right, Lindsay? Because you have to put together all that stuff. You have to do the planning is that a pretty time-consuming process for you? And when did you start generating ideas for the book launch? I would say as soon as I turned in my edit. So I turn in my rough draft to my publisher, and then I get my edit back from him, um, and then make my revisions and turn it back into him. And he reads over everything, make sure that you know he's happy with it before it goes to copy editing. And so I would say when I turn in my revisions that's when I start thinking about launch. So not immediately after I'm done writing the book, uh, but but within you know a few months, I, I will start months and months in advance. So that was probably, if we just launched in May, that would have been maybe November-ish. So I, six months, I start- Yeah, that sounds about right. Yeah, six months um, ahead of time. Yeah, so it does take a lot of time to plan this stuff out, to do it efficiently. I think that's what's gotten better each launch for me from launch number one to two to three is I've gotten more efficient with my process and I've gotten more efficient with knowing exactly who I need to contact, what I want to do, how many of each item I might need. Um, And I've been adjusting that, you know, since the first launch, I figured out that I want to make sure uh, that whatever I'm doing for swag items, the things are not easily breakable in um, in mm-hmm. sh- the shipping process because with book yeah. one I did mugs and I loved the mugs they were so cute but they always have to be packed in this like major box you know with yeah. all of this padding and even with that a couple of the handles broke in transit um, and that's a very expensive you know relatively speaking that's an expensive swag item so it's the last thing you want to uh, get damaged in shipping so I learned my lesson as much as I love the mugs we didn't do that for books two 
two or three. No, that is such a good point, Lindsay, because I've done mugs before when I've done book launches on behalf of some of my author clients. Up front, you're going, oh, well, mugs with stuff printed on them, like your book cover on them or whatever. Those are cheap. You can get them for less than $10 per mug. Right. But when you add in the packaging that you have to put around the mug in order to keep it from being broken, your shipping costs go up exponentially. So yes, you are so right that mugs is not necessarily the most cost effective thing to give away. They're heavy too. They're heavy. Yes. It's great (laughs) for table sales. They look great on a display, you know, if you're, if you're doing in-person sales. So it's not a bad item to create if you're ever going to be selling your books in person, but not easy for shipping. And I learned by the third launch that for my pre-order incentives, that's another thing I did is I did like a pre-order bonus for people who pre-ordered the book and submitted their receipts to me, I would send them a little packet of goodies. And I've done that for all three books. But the first with the first book, my, uh, my dad did the map art for all three of my books, because he's an illustrator by trade, he's retired now, but he was a professional illustrator. And so he drew the maps for books one, two, and three. And so for book one, I thought, that's a perfect swag item for my pre order package of goodies, I will make prints of this map on, you know, nice parchmenty looking paper. And so those cost me I, like five or eight cents or something a piece to make. It's just like a black and white copy basically on cool paper. So very cost effective. But when it came time to ship those, they need to be shipped in some eight and a half by 11, like a flat mailer. So it, it, a lot of those um, things that are rigid, they have to be hand canceled by the post uh-huh. office. So there you get the non-machinable surcharge or whatever they charge you extra. Those actually ended up costing me I don't know, it it wasn't outrageous, but maybe like a couple dollars or something each. Mm -hmm. And because that was my first launch, I didn't have as many pre-order receipts submitted to me because I didn't really have a fan base yet. So I had, I sent out, I don't know, maybe 25, 20 or 25, something like that of those. So not a huge investment dollar wise in postage, but for this launch, I created for Story Hunters launch book three, I created a hundred pre-order goodie packages and all of them were claimed. And so then I added more. And so you can imagine if I'm spending $2 per package to to mail it out on top of whatever's in the package, how much that costs, that gets really pricey really fast. So when you're dealing in volume, that can be very overwhelming. So I made sure that my swag for this book fit into an envelope this big, Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know, like a regular like Five by seven. Uh, yeah, four by so six. A little larger than four by six because my largest swag item was a four, uh, four by six character card. So um, those could be sent with stamps on them. And um, they did get a little beat up because the cards were kind of stiff. So people were posting on Instagram when their package of goodies arrived. And I could see like the outside was a little like, (laughs) like it had gone through the machine and kind of, but everything inside was safe. I haven't seen any (laughs) damaged, uh, damaged goodies. So um, I've learned a lot from launch to launch to launch about how to do this efficiently. So I'm not spending as much time as as I probably did the first launch and trying to find vendors and figure out who needs to make what and what I even want to have made. I mean, it's, I've definitely spent a lot of hours in trying to refine my process. Mm -hmm. Thank you so much for all the practical tips. So that's really great because I think, especially for people that are planning their first book launch, 
These are things we would not know. Right. You, you just don't know. You, it, it's kind of trial and error. It really is. And I didn't know. I mean, I had been absorbing yeah. book launch tips and marketing tips mm. and, and knowledge and stuff for years and years. So I had an idea about like the theory of what I wanted to do. I had those kinds of ideas. But when it came to practically making things happen, I just had to dive in and figure out what worked and what didn't. So... Now, I want to wrap up with asking one more question, because I think this ties in directly to what we've been talking about, and that is all this time and money that you have invested in these book launches, what sorts of results are you seeing in terms of a growing fan base? Because ultimately, that's what we want to have happen, right? We want more readers for our books. Absolutely, because it is all about that solid platform that you're building on. You know, the the sales numbers matter less to me. I mean, I know it's important. It's an, it's a very important measure of how, you know, far our books are reaching and how well we're doing at, at selling to our customers. So it's still a really important measure. But what I really want to do is create that solid base that I can keep writing more and more and more stories from. So I'm trying to build a career. So the results have been good. Um, I know my publisher is happy. <laughs> good. Um, that's always good. <laughs> yep. Asking me what's next? Where's your next proposal? We want to know what your next series is. So that's always good. Another way that I measure the success of what I'm doing is by the pre-order receipt submissions. I know that sounds a little bit funny, but those fans, those readers who submit for, uh, who A, pre-order the book, and B, follow me somewhere enough, mm -hmm. they're either on my mailing list or they're on my social media so that they are aware that I'm offering those, those incentives or those bonuses and then take the time to upload their receipt to fill out the form so that I have their mailing address and I can send them stuff. Those are very committed fans. So I think I said I had 15 to 20 pre-order packages went out for um, book one, and then it was more than that for book two. And then now we had significantly over 100 because I did add more for book three. So to me, I'm like, okay, we're getting more and more and more of those very engaged, committed readers who are here with me, who are on this journey with me. If you're enjoying this, listeners, and you'd like to get to know Lindsay better, where can people go to get more information about you and to connect with you online? My website is always a good hub for that, because no matter what social media platform you prefer, you can find where I am on those platforms via my website. So my website is lindsayafranklin.com. And Lindsay is also spelled with an A. So L-I-N-D-S-A-Y-A Franklin.com. And I'll put the link to Lindsay's website in the show notes, listeners, so that you can find her there. And also, Lindsay, you're going to be on faculty at the upcoming West Coast Christian Writers Online Conference, which yeah. you'll be, you're on the docket for October 10th. I know this because I'm directing the conference. And I know who's, <laughs> who's speaking on which days. Uh, but it, and on that, on October 10th, you and I are going to be talking about why I chose traditional publishing. What, that's right. We're, we're going to be talking about why you chose traditional publishing as opposed to indie publishing, Correct. at least to start off your career with. Yes. It sounds like you're open to both types of publishing, yes. 
but you intentionally chose traditional publishing. So if you would like to hear more from Lindsay, go over to westcoastchristianwriters.com and sign up for the online conference, which is October 8th through 10th. And Lindsay will be on our faculty and you'll get to hear more good stuff from her there. Thank you so much, Lindsay, for joining me the last two weeks. It has been a total pleasure to pick your brain and learn about your books and what you're doing for your book launch. Thank you so much for having me. It was very fun. And listeners, if you're enjoying the show, I invite you to share it with a friend. You can subscribe to the show from your favorite podcast listening app like Apple Podcasts or Stitcher or TuneIn Radio or Spotify, or go over to bloggingbistro.com, sign up there, and you'll get email notifications from me about each new episode. And there's also a link over there where you can join the Professional Writer Podcast Community Facebook group, and that's the place where we continue discussing what we're learning during each episode. So thanks for joining Lindsay and I today, and we will talk with you again next week.